If you have a Bible, uh, you can go ahead and open up to Isaiah chapter 9, as that's where we'll be uh, this morning. Now, um, I want you to think back four years ago from this time, um, so 2019, and remember, like, we're, we're on the doorstep of 2020, and we're looking at that going, like, 2020, that's going to be our year, things are going to be great, like, we're on the, the, the doorstep of a new decade, and we had a lot of hope and, and going, like, this is going to be great, um, but then, like, 2020, it starts off kind of normal, but you start hearing kind of these rumblings of this virus on the other side of the world, and you're hearing more and more. It's getting a bit more concerning. It's getting closer and closer, and finally it arrives here um, in our province, and we experience something that we've never experienced before. We're experiencing lockdowns and shutdowns. Um, we're, we're going like uh, this. It was foreign to many of us. Um, and, and like you're having those fun days where it's like you're trying to learn to work from home and also maybe homeschool your children at the same time, like just just fond memories of those days. But 2020, they, it started off a little like a little rough. And that kind of kept going. And then we hit April of 2020. And then there was the Porta Peak mass shooting. Um, Twenty two people lost their lives that that during that and then, again, the, the pandemic wasn't over. It was just kind of this weird, you're living in this weird time where it's like, is it over? Is it not over? Are we opening? Are we closing? Um, or is it getting better? Is it getting worse? What is the new normal? And so we're like kind of trying to go through all of that. But then even we get to this year, May and June, we have wildfires in our own backyards and, and people are losing their homes. And then we hit July and then it's like torrential rains where it's washing out um, infrastructure around the province. People's homes are flooded. But then we, we still see things going on like weak economy, inflation, high cost of living. Uh, we're going through this housing crisis, which is kind of in, insane where it's just like, because of the, the cost of housing, some people can't afford a house or maybe they can't find a place to live. And so we have a lot of people who are living on the streets within our own city. And then there's an ongoing kind of healthcare crisis where there's, there's just like it takes a long time to get in and get the help that you need. Or maybe you're struggling to find a, a family doctor. And I, I say all of this um, to, to go like 2020 through 2023 have been some difficult years uh, in this province. And I think we have to acknowledge that. And a lot of people um, as a result of this are also struggling with some mental health issues. Now, like, I know that's a chipper way to start off a message, like Merry Christmas, like I'm really feeling festive now, but it's just one of those realities. And, and as we're, we're on the doorstep of 2024, maybe you're like, you're, you're blessed with this ability to look at that year and go, but 2024, that's going to be our year. It's, it's all going to change, but it might not. Like, you look at things on a global scale, and there's some crisis taking place that are kind of alarming, just things that, are, that are, could escalate and, and become much larger and make life a little more interesting, even for us here. And so I would say this is like, things kind of look unstable. And we would go, these years have been difficult. And some of us, depending on our experience over the last few years, we might go, they're not just difficult. Man, they have been some dark years. You might say, these have been some of the darkest years in my life. Now, the Bible, it uses that word darkness. It uses it to describe the suffering 
and the evil and the confusion that we see in the world and even in our own lives. And it's like darkness did not begin in 2020. Like it's been going on since the beginning. You go back to the Garden of Eden and that's kind of where darkness uh, begins in, in Genesis 3 where humanity basically goes, God, we're going to go our own way. We're going to do our own thing. We're not going to follow your will for us. We're going to follow our wisdom over your wisdom. And that led to darkness, that sin brings darkness. Now, the prophet Isaiah, he's, he's prophesying to the northern kingdom. He's addressing the people in the northern kingdom of Israel during some dark, difficult days. It's this time of national crisis and instability. So they've, they kind of have this history where they've had poor leadership. The kings have not been the best. They haven't followed God. Also, the Assyrian Empire is just kind of right next door and posing this significant threat. And so the northern tribes face invasion and oppression. They're experiencing distress hardship, evil, and suffering. And so that's kind of the situation that they find themselves as like as discouraging ours as ours might seem to you. It's like, man, Israel had it much worse. But against that gloomy backdrop, the prophet Isaiah, he gives this vision of hope. And so Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, it says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And so Isaiah, he moves from kind of the, the, the darkness and the gloominess of their present situation. And he gives us this vision for a bright and glorious future. Now, as, as, human, as humans, like, you don't have to be a believer in God to go, like, no, there's some darkness in this world. And we, we feel it, that, that we experience it. And humanity, again, we've done our best. We've tried to kind of push back the darkness, to dispel the darkness, to alleviate the pain and the suffering and the difficulty that we experience in our lives. We've looked for different ways. And so maybe um, we've looked to a leader or a government, we're going, okay, they'll help kind of navigate us out of the darkness. Maybe it's, we're going, no, the, the answer is education. We just got to teach people the right things. Maybe we go, it's going to be uh, science. The science will answer the problems that we're, we're plagued with, or maybe we're going technology, man, that, that's the future. Now those things, they, they have done good. They, they have helped alleviate some of the, the problems that we see or the, the, the pain that we feel from the darkness. But the problem is they haven't been able to deal with the source, the root of the darkness. And they themselves can become tools of that darkness. Like uh, there can be great leaders, but there can be bad leaders that can, can do some terrible things. That, that governments can become oppressive to their people. That you can teach people the right things, but you can also teach people harmful things in, in education. I mean, science Science has done great things. Like, think about what it's done for, for health care and all of that. But you can also take those same tools and you can use them to create weapons of, of mass destruction or biological warfare. I love technology, but I also recognize, man, technology, that can be used. That can be harmful at times. Like, you have um, the fathers of AI are going, we don't know exactly what kind of where this leads, how this all ends. Like, are they going to become sentient? Are they going to overthrow us? They're like, we, we don't know exactly. Is this going to end well or is this going to end poorly? And so what I'm saying is humanity, we've tried to solve the darkness, but we haven't been able to do it yet. We haven't saved ourselves. But notice in Isaiah 9 too, he, he's not saying that the light comes from the earth. Isaiah is, is not saying that humanity, if we, if we really try, we're going to get our acts together, we're going to generate the light, we're going to deal with this darkness. He's saying, no, the light dawns on the earth. 
that, that the light comes from outside and shines on the earth. In other words, the light is not going to be something that we create. Isaiah, he, he goes on to prophesy in verse 6. And again, this is like one of those Christmas verses we hear almost every year. He says, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. His, he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And so what Isaiah is saying here is that our hope is not found in something, but someone. That we're not going to find the end of darkness within human intellect, human innovation. And something is not the answer to the darkness we see in the world. It's someone and so we could say this, Isaiah is going, the, the, the light is a person. The light that we need, our hope to push back darkness, he says, is going to come as a child. The child born for us brings the light. And I love this verse because Isaiah is going like, you know what? Despite the fact that humanity is responsible for the darkness, we brought on the darkness by refusing God's wills or God's will, God's ways. We've gone our own way. We followed our own wisdom. We brought that on. God has not given up on humanity. And God's going, no, I, I will solve the darkness. I will send a child to address the pain, the suffering, and fit, make a way. And through that child, the light would come. Now, like sometimes you look at people and you go, okay, man, you were born for a purpose. And like, what I mean is this, that you, you, they would be like, you were born to play that sport. You were born to, to play that instrument. You were born to um, lead in this innovation. You were born to whatever it is. And so like, think about somebody like LeBron James. You look at a guy like that, man, you look like you were born to play basketball. Taylor Swift, that girl looks like she was born to perform. Like you just look at this and, and we can think they were born specifically for that purpose. But the reality is, is like they discovered that along the way that they had some natural abilities or talents, they honed it, and, and they kind of grew into that. But what Isaiah is saying here is that this child who brings the light was born for us. And so if you're one of those people who like mark in your Bible, um, I would like circle, highlight, underline that word for. Because what it's saying is that this child serves a specific purpose. That this child would not like, stumble into this purpose accidentally one day, that, that he would not decide, you know what, I think I'll make it my, my life's ambition to be the light of the world. Like, it has, has these big aspirations that he was born from the beginning. It's, it's, he was born to be light in darkness. Now, a lot of parents, um, if, if you're a parent, what you tend to do is you go, my child, they're extraordinary. My child is special. Like, they're, they're, they're above average. But in reality, they're, they're, they're probably not. Like, you might go, like, my... <laughs> there's a nice encouraging message for everybody. <laughs> it's like... But, like, I had to tell Seth, like, don't listen to this um, in the first service. But it's like, it we'll go, like, my child, they were uh, walking at 10 months. My child, they, they said their first word at seven months. My child, um, they were reading at age four. My child, they look at their grades. My child, they're an all-star in this sport. But again, they're like, we're going, man, my child, like, mm. but in reality, it's like most kids are average because you need people to fall into that average category for them to be ad average. And like what Isaiah is going, though, that this child is not your average child. This child is special. This child is extraordinary. 
that before this child is born, he's already been given some names that describe different aspects of his nature. And so he says, this child will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And so I want to take a little bit of time to talk about those first two uh, names that this child is given, Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. Now, if you, if you start reading the Bible, the very first chapter, you get three verses in, you start getting a glimpse of the power that God has. Like Genesis chapter one, verse three, it says, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Like as parents, I think we should just kind of be amazed at this verse that God can just say something and it happens the first time. Usually we have to repeat ourselves two or three times to make something happen. But God's like, light begin to shine. And light that did not exist previous to that just begins to shine. And then he proceeds to do the same thing with land and planets and vegetation and animals. And then he creates human life. Just think about it. It's like if you're like, okay, I want to build something. I want to make something. You go to Google or a recipe book. You're like, how do I do this? And then you're like, okay, here's the materials I need. You go to the grocery store. You go to the hardware store. You pick up what you need. And then you, you try and put it together. And, and usually the first attempt's a little, a little rough. But God like nails it in the first time. He, he just, he gets it. And God, we, we see he's omnipotent that he's the ultimate creator, the sustainer of the universe. He has the power to control and influence all aspects of creation. And so this is why that, that title, Mighty God, that it wasn't just made up for this child, that this, this title already existed, that this was a title that, that was applied to God himself. And it's not just that God has the power to create, but you see like throughout the Old Testament, God delivers his people in mighty ways. He's a God who, who sends plagues. He's a God who splits the sea so his people can walk through it. He provides food in a desert. He causes the sun to stand still. He defeats armies. Like, we, we could keep going. Now, what I'm saying is this. Like, sometimes it's hard for us to think of it this way, but if God were, were here before us, like, we'd all be dead, but get, get around that. But, like, imagine you're standing before this God. You're not going to go, like, man, you're irrelevant. You're not going to treat that type of God with indifference. Like you're going to, you're going to give him the adoration he deserves. You, you would worship that God if you could fully get your head around his power, his ability, all of these things. Now, God knows that he deserves to be worshiped. In Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, he says in verse 2, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow in worship to them. And do not serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, in Isaiah chapter 9, he's going, this child is born for us, which makes him mortal. But then he takes a title that's been applied to God alone, a name, and he gives it to this child. And so he's going like, this child is going to be divine. Now, for those of us like, who are here, we're going like, yeah, this, this is not really a surprise. No new information. Like, I know who you're talking about. It's, it's Jesus. I hope I didn't spoil this for anybody. It's, it's Jesus that Isaiah is writing about. And we kind of just go, yeah, he's, he's, he's human, he's divine, and we kind of brush it off. But put, put yourself in Isaiah's hearers, like the original hearers of this, their shoes. And they're trying to go, like, this child's born, but they're, they're mighty God. 
that, that this child is divine. What is God up to? And so Isaiah is stressing, man, this, this, this child that will be born is no less than God himself. Now, as I said, like, it's Jesus. We, we know it's Jesus. And people have a lot of different opinions about Jesus. The mark that he's left on human history, you kind of have to acknowledge his existence. Um, You have to figure out what to do with him. You can't just go, yeah, Jesus, he wasn't that important. Like you can't shrug him off as being insignificant. And what you'll often hear is, is people will say things like this. Well, Christians, what they've done is they've taken and they've misrepresented Jesus. They misunderstood him and presented him as, as something that he never intended to be um, understood as or somebody he never claimed to be. And most people will go, okay, Jesus existed. Kind of human history just screams that Jesus existed. And they'll go, you know what? I, he, he taught some amazing things. He did some pretty cool things as well. And they'll go, he, I, I can respect him as a teacher. I like him. He, he's a good friend or leader or religious guru, a life coach, a revolutionary. But that's where they stop. Because they're going, I don't know if I can worship him as God. Because they're not convinced necessarily that he was God. Now, one of the most important questions you're ever going to answer in your life is this. Who is Jesus? That is more important than the, like, who will you marry? That is more important than the career that you will decide to pursue or that you have decided to pursue. Because those, the answer to those questions, like, you're not going to have to live with those necessarily forever. Like, it's, it's like, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years maybe, and then it's kind of like your career's done, you retire, whatever it is. Marriage, it's like it's, it's here, that's it. But like the, the, the question um, of who is Jesus, you live with those, that answer forever. Like that, that one goes on forever. There's not really a, a redo on that one. But kind of a, a question in relation to that, which is just important, is this. Who did Jesus understand himself to be? Like, think of it this way. If, if you heard that I was like, somebody tells you, uh, rumor has it, James is going to go into politics. He wants to be the premier of, of Nova Scotia. You'll go, that, that seems kind of weird. Can't really see James in politics, but I mean, maybe, maybe it's true. And so what would you do? Hopefully you would come to me and you would go, I heard that you're aspiring to go into politics, that you want to become the premier. And at that point, I would either correct or um, confirm that. And I'd be like, no way. I have no aspiration to touch politics. But what I'm saying is like, if you heard something like that, somebody claiming something like that, hopefully you would go to the source to find out what that person is saying. And in, in John chapter eight, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So what, what Jesus is saying, and like, if you're going, ah, Christians just wrote that. No, like the, the word of God, it holds up under like the harshest scrutiny. Jesus is going, I am that child that Isaiah prophesied about over 750 years ago. I am the savior of the world. I am the light of the world. And the gospel paints a pretty clear picture that Jesus understood himself to be God. That Jesus, in, in these ways that is very clear, if you understand kind of the culture and the context, he's saying, I am divine, that I'm God himself, I should be worshipped as such. Like, think, if you read through the Gospels, what, what you'll see is that when people kind of encounter Jesus, they hear the things that he says, they see the things that he, he does, they, they never kind of react to him indifferently. 
They, they never say, treat him mildly. Nobody goes like, you know what? I, I like Jesus. He's, he's a good inspiration. I think he makes me want to be a better person. Like nobody does that. When they hear what he says, when they see what he does, they do three, one of three things generally. They're scared of him and they ask him to leave. They get mad at him and they want to kill him or they worship him as God. And in, in those times where people accuse Jesus of, of claiming to be God, if, if Jesus was like, whoa, no, that's not what I'm saying, that, that would be his opportunity, but he doesn't stop them. He doesn't correct them. He doesn't recant or apologize when they do this. Like Jesus, he does what only God can do. He makes the blind see, he makes the deaf hear, makes the lame walk. I mean, he goes beyond doing that. Um, he calms seas, he walks on water, he takes a happy meal and he feeds 5,000 plus people with it. Like, none of us can do that. We don't have that, like, we can't boast of that. And so Jesus is very certain about his purpose on earth and who he was, that, that he knew why he was there to be humanity's savior king. And so if Jesus is mighty God, he deserves to be worshipped and served. Like, for, for my kids, I want them to listen to, to the voice of uh, their mother and I more than <clears throat> any other voice that they'll hear in this word, world. And the reason I want that is because I, I honestly believe I want what is for their best more than any other person that is out there. And we are jealous for their good because we love our kids. And as mighty God... Jesus is jealous for your worship because as eternal father, he is jealous for your good more than any other savior you might look to, more, like, more than any other object that you might say, this is the devotion of my worship. Like Jesus wants your worship. He wants you to follow him because he wants what is best for you. And so what I'm saying is we shouldn't treat Jesus with indifference, that if he is God, that we need to reorient our entire lives around him and his claims. And the answer to the question, who is Jesus, that should determine how you live your life more than any other question that you'll, you'll ever be asked. If Jesus is mighty God, the maker of, creator, of, of heaven and earth, the universe, he is the light for the darkness. He is the light that brings the right way into view. He wants to show you the way of salvation. He is the way of salvation. He drives back the darkness of sin, despair, and destruction, and he wants to show you what is good and true. Like When I was in, in school, um, my favorite classes were always the math and the sciences, but I, I loved math because I was good at math. And so junior high, high school, I, I, like, I actually really enjoyed uh, doing math class. And here's the reason, because the teacher would go, here's the problem, and you would solve the problem, you would get your answer, you could reverse engineer that question, basically, take your answer, plug it in, and go, it's correct, it works. I, I know that this is the, the solution to this problem. But then there was classes like language arts and English lit or, or whatever, where they would be like, okay, this poem, how does it make you feel, James? <laughs> okay, and I, like, I'd be like, here's how it makes me feel. What do you think the author was trying to say in this short story, James? I, I, I think this is what they're trying to say. And I'd submit it, and then my teacher would be like, yeah, you're wrong. Don't, don't trust your feelings. Like, you just don't know anything. Um, 
And so like, that's why I preferred math over those types of courses. But here's the thing, life tends to be a lot more like English lit or language arts than it does math. Um, like chances are at some point in your life, you're going to encounter some difficulties. And if you haven't already encountered them and you're gonna find yourself in a situation where you're going, how do I navigate this problem, this difficulty? And you're gonna have questions and you're not gonna go like, here's the answer with 100% certainty. In the darkness of the world, we can get confused as to which way we should go. What, what is the correct answer to the problem? We can't see which way we should go in the darkness of the world. But if, if you're like me, when you're facing something challenging, you're facing something difficult, one of the things I try to do is I try and find somebody who's gone through that situation before, who's walked through it. And so maybe if you face something like a sickness, the loss of a loved one, a job transition. Maybe it's just a, a challenge like, man, I want to ask this person to marry me and, and start a life together. Maybe it's like we're going to start um, a, a family. What you want to do often is like, who's walked a similar path? Who can provide some guidance for what I'm about to go through or what I'm going through? Who understands? Now, Isaiah says that this child is also called wonderful counselor. And like just kind of a basic definition of a counselor is somebody who has wisdom, Hopefully they have some experience with it and they can provide direction to help us know what to do. And so if this child born for us was really born in a stable and they are also mighty God, like Christianity has something that almost no other religion claims to have, that we have a God who understands us because he's experienced what it is to be human. Like, like think about it, like we, at Christmas we... we, we obsessed about the baby in the manger, and it's beautiful. It is. But that's just like the beginning of Jesus' earthly life. In the Gospels, you see Jesus grew up in this world. And Jesus' story is, is not one where he experiences only the good things of the world, and he, he never experiences the harsh things. Like, Jesus' story is not like he grew up in a castle, and he, he got to ride the nicest donkey to school every day, and then he lives happily ever after. Like, that's not Jesus' story. He most likely grew up in poverty. His family were basically kind of refugees right off the bat after he was born. He had to grow up working hard for a living. He was tempted. He was misunderstood by people and even his own family. He mourned the death of family and friends. He felt anguish. He had to show courage. He was abandoned by his friends. He was looked down upon because of his ethnicity. He experienced injustice. He was mistreated, mistreated, sorry, humiliated, and he died a brutal death. And so what I'm saying is that Jesus' time on earth is not one where he only experiences the good things that the world has to offer, but he actually experienced most of the harsh things that this world has to offer the pain, the suffering. But sometimes what, what happens in this world is like, we'll see somebody and be like, you deserve an honorary title of recognition uh, or, or appreciation, but they haven't done the work to, to earn it. And so it's, it's kind of like this, like somebody could be given like, ah, you're, you're a, a doctor. They're, they're given like an honorary PhD, but they haven't put in the studies to actually earn that necessarily. Or somebody could be knighted and they become a, a sir, but again, it's, it's honorary. They haven't kind of done anything heroic in, in like the, the, they haven't rescued a princess or something. I don't know, what, what do you do have to become a knight? Um, but like, it, it's, it's symbolic, it's honorary. It's, it's not a functional title necessarily. 
Like, uh, I'm not going to ask Sir Elton John to lead troops into battle. Like, he's not going to be like, who's going to fight for us? It will be Sir Elton. Like, it's not going to happen. You need surgery. You're not going to be like, you know who I want? Dr. Kanye West. He's my boy. Like, you're not going to, I want him to open me up. No. Like, you, you, it's, it's a ceremonial title. It's not functional. But when we hear that title, Wonderful Counselor, that's not purely symbolic it's not ceremonial. That, that's functional. That Jesus earned that title. Our wonderful counselor knows what you're going through, and when you talk to him, he understands. He has tasted what it is to be human. Let's put it this way. He's walked in our darkness. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, Uh, The author writes, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So what that's saying is like our, our wonderful counselor, he, they, he can provide wisdom and guidance as we live in this dark world, that he shines light into our darkness, and he doesn't do it as somebody who's ignorant of what life in this world is like. He de- he's not like detached from it. And Jesus' teachings, if you look at them, they're actually true to the human experience in this world. That, that, that if you apply them, you live them out, it helps you make sense of what's going on in this world and, and know how to proceed um, with, in the right direction. Also, like, I don't know if, if you're somebody who, who has a habit of praying, but I found that like, when I bring my problems, my challenges, my difficulties to Jesus, he does answer. And I'm not saying it's like I hear a voice from heaven that's like, James, this is the way you should go. Like, I've never heard the audible voice of God. But here's what I will say, is that God brings these verses across my path, whether it's something somebody shared on social media, whether it's just in something I'm reading, and it's like, that that verse was there for that moment. Or that God will bring somebody along, and they'll offer wisdom or counsel, um, and they will kind of give clarity as to which way to go. Sometimes the answer is like, I, I just have peace about a situation. Or maybe I just have a clear feeling. It's like, no, that's not the way I'm supposed to go. But Jesus, he's not just a wise counselor. He's also mighty God. And so his wisdom, his power goes beyond human capability. And so as God, you have to also understand that as he's counseling you, he sees the entire timeline. That he, he will provide you counsel that no other person can provide you from a vantage that nobody else, that nothing in your life is going to catch him by surprise. So we're a wonderful counselor again. He doesn't just sympathize and offer advice, that he can do what no other counselor in this world will ever offer you can do, that he can create where there was nothing, he can fix what is broken, he can turn what was meant for evil for good. So in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, anyone who follows him will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And so Jesus, is, it's an invitation. Like, do you want to walk in the darkness or do you want to walk in the light? Do you want to know where you are going? Do you want to see things and understand the world more clearly? Do you want to actually know what is good and true and beautiful? Do you want to avoid the dangers and pitfalls of life? And so when Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world, this is a very clear claim that he is that child born for us, that he's, he's also going like, I bring the right way into view. 
He shows us the way of salvation. He is the way of salvation. He drives back the sin, uh, the darkness of sin, despair, and destruction. And again, like, if you were one of Isaiah's original hearers, you go, how is God going to do this? How, do, how does all this work? But for us, 2,700 years later, man, we have the advantage of being able to look back and go, it's Jesus, that, that this is the one, this is the child born for us. In Luke 1.35, it says, the angel replied to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And so when, when we look at Jesus, we have to understand this, that the Son of God did not come from the world or wasn't born out of the world, but he was born into it. The Son of God did not emerge out of history, but he stepped into it. That Jesus is not the best that humanity could offer God, but it was God's best offer to humanity. That he's not man becoming God, but God becoming man. That he lived a sinless life. He showed us what it means to truly be human. He died a criminal's death, but his blood has the power to cleanse us from all sin. That Jesus rose from the dead, showing that his work was sufficient, and now he's sitting at the Father's right hand as the Prince of Peace. That he's interceding for his people, offering them wise counsel, and one day he will return to dispel the darkness and make all things new. But Jesus doesn't force us to walk the path that he illuminates, that he, he invites us to follow him. And his invitation is to trust in his work on the cross, to accept him as Lord and Savior. It's this invite, invitation of discipleship to follow him, to be his apprentice, to see his power, his wisdom at work in and through your life. And as you invite others to step into the light. But here's, here's what I know, and it will happen for, for all of us, and because I can be guilty of this at times. When we think of Jesus, we go, what a wonderful feeling. What a mighty historical figure he was. But Jesus is still alive and well, and he wants to be your wonderful counselor. He wants to be mighty God. And so each one of us, we have to decide who is Jesus Will we trust him as the light of the world, mighty God who has come to save us? And we make that invitation almost every week that if you want to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, we'd love to talk to you. You can talk to Greg or myself after the service. But Christianity, it says that God has been everywhere that you have been, even in the darkness, that he understands and you can trust him because he doesn't just sympathize. He has the power to drive back that darkness, to strengthen and comfort you. And he's promised as wonderful counselor that he will walk with you to the very end, whether that's the end of your life when you go home to be with him or he returns for us. And he's bringing us to his kingdom where he will reign as the Prince of Peace with righteousness, justice, and truth forever and ever.